0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert, and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of harvesting nature. Our host here, Justin Townsend, along with uh, a couple of the crew today, back from their special assignment.
2: Hey, this is Dustin. Welcome back. And hey, this is Colin. Hello. Hello.
1: So we're doing things a little differently. Normally we're we're split like half and half or less than half between our recording studio and uh abroad, but due to some of the recent uh things going on, we're we're doing everything remotely via Skype. So, uh, a little different sound that you'll be hearing today, but still, nonetheless, content will be great, I promise. Uh, also, some new changes, too, just want to talk about. Uh, we launched a new logo here a couple weeks ago uh, for Harvest in Nature and decided we uh, needed a bit of a facelift. So, created kind of a, a shield arrowhead type logo, uh, which is pretty cool, incorporated a uh, trout an elk antler and a campfire, and it to kind of symbolize the hunting the fishing, and the cooking aspect of what what we're really about here at harvest in nature and then uh with that we took and uh took some time and and created some new merchandise which uh which you'll see up on on the website there and it has some pretty cool stuff still working on some others working on a a new turkey shirt which uh Will hopefully be releasing in the next week or so. Got to do some fine tuning on that, but uh, so far so good. And then also, if uh, if you guys listened to episode eight, we talked with Casey over Tact Calories. He was generous enough to give us a user code for a ten percent discount off on 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 all orders online on his website. Tact Calories, really high quality seasoning. I mean, we had a great conversation. If you guys listen to it, then you know. Uh, Awesome stuff. He's doing great things over there and we're we're happy to support him and uh and you know, support what he does with some good seasoning. I just got some in the mail. I put it in order myself and uh got a, a good assortment in so I've been trying and testing those uh those seasonings out and I'm really impressed with it. They've yet to disappoint me. I don't think they will, but uh keep an eye on them and uh if you want to get that access code to those uh discounts just uh listen in on episode eight of the podcast, and uh, at the very end, we announce that code for you. So today, what we want to talk about a little bit, given the light of the flu season and and all the other nonsense going on in the world, we want to talk a little bit about soups and stews, because there's some definite health benefits to eating soups and stews when you're feeling under the weather or trying to stay from getting under the weather. It's weird not having you guys here.
2: <laughs> I feel like the kids that are grounded and we're like we can't have our toys but we have our like little radios, like stranger things, and we're sitting there like hiding from our parents talking to each other.
1: Yeah, it's like walkie talkies. Yeah. Or maybe even the old can and string. I don't know. That'd be a long stretch, but
2: Yeah, that'll work too.
1: So talking some about soups, you guys know the main difference between soups and stews at all?
0: Yeah?
2: I do not. Actually that was a question I wanted to ask you. Right. At first glance, I always felt like stews are just always chunkier and meatier. That was the first approach of why I always liked stew more. I felt like I was eating more.
1: What You're definitely onto something there. So, soups, by definition, are going to be uh, more liquid than stews. And uh, the biggest factor between the two is going to be time. So, a soup is something you can generally prepare pretty quickly. And uh, stew, you know, that's where the term stewing comes from. So you're gonna let things cook a little bit longer and you're gonna use different cuts of meat, not often different vegetables, but different preparations method, which we'll get into a little more. There's uh, a lot of information in in French cooking. in traditional French cooking, there's a, there's a lot more detail uh, in the definitions between the two. So you know, excluding time and, and the more liquid, your big difference between your soups, you have clear soups, uh, which will either be a bouillon or a, a consommé, and those basically are kind of going back into the very basics and, and wrap around to the stock and the creation of stock, uh, which we'll we'll touch on in a little bit too. But the uh, the bouillon, you're you're using uh, techniques to remove like all the bits and the the fats, so you're getting like a really really uh, super clear liquid and the consomme, you're just kind of, uh, you're getting a, you're just using the stock. You're not really removing anything of it to keep it, uh, super, super clear.
2: Yeah. that I mean, stock stock is something that I've been really interested in. And as I progress through my hunting career and gain more experience and harvest more animals, stock is something that I definitely want to be, uh, involved in. Um, in, in making and using in various cooking methods. So yeah. I'm glad we'll talk about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's to me, it's like the fundamental. Uh, any recipe where I it calls for the use of water, if I can take and sub out a stock of some sort, then I'm always going to do that just for the mere fact that you're going to increase the flavor. Plus, if you look at pairing foods pairing a meat with a stock that's made of the same type of meat you're usually going to get a good mix of flavors and so that pairing is gonna is gonna go much much better so even if you're cooking rice instead of you know using rice like if you use half stock or using water if you use half stock half water or yes oh, let me say that again in rice if you use half stock half water versus just using completely water you're going to get some flavor and then say all right we're going to make that with uh with say uh, a stewed beef or a pot roast or something like that or a, a, a venison roast where you're you're either braising it or roasting it or stewing it and then you're adding that on top of the rice that you're preparing with the the venison stock then you're going to get some of the same flavors in the rice and in the whatever meat you're using and that's going to match up really, really well.
2: So is that a pretty good rule then that you can substitute water for stock?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, even uh, when, even when you make pasta and stuff like that, cause you're going to infuse cause you got to think of those, those starches and those things is just like a sponge, I guess. Right. So whatever right. you put into it is what flavor it's going to hold. Okay. Yeah,
2: I just recently experimented and made my own stock and broth just to to see what I was getting into. Um, in fact, after seeing your freezer, Justin, and seeing all those those stocks that you had saved up, so uh, when I made this last, well, I couldn't find any turkey, so I made a in. <laughs> and so with the duck and the chicken, I made both a stock and a broth, and It it's pretty interesting, easy to do, a lot easier than I don't I don't know why I haven't done it before, but um, I'm really excited to use that stock in my next recipe coming up.
1: So we got um, up on the website there. We have a, a really good overview of stocks. Um, the title of it's wild game stock. Keep those bones, and so that's that's definitely a rule. If I'm in a position where I can I can keep the bones, if I'm not traveling a long long way, I will even leaving roasts like bone in, and then maybe you get home and you uh, you bone out those those roasts, and then you keep them, and then depending on what type of stock you're gonna make. Um, But we, in this one, I pulled a lot of information from Escoffier's uh, Guide to Modern Cookery, or it's like a Guide to Culinaire, which is the foundational book that a lot of, that the majority of cooking schools have used, and it was developed, you know, early 1900s, late 1800s, and, and sort of used and incorporated to create the modern commercial kitchen as we know it. So looking back on that, it's cool because it's the time period where uh, wild game was still used pretty frequently in in a lot of recipes and even in restaurants uh, across Europe and in a lot of uh, very prestigious and up-and-coming. Uh, Scoffier cooked, uh, I believe it's the Ritz Carlton that he cooked for in France. Just to look at that, that shows you kind of some of the um, high-level stuff that he's doing. But it's a it's a cool book to browse over but it gets very very technical um but just looking at it here just as a little review so i i really highlighted three types of stocks uh in here and it's really good for a good basis you have your wild game stock uh, which is your uh consomme for your clear soups and you're using bones of whatever animal you have and you're going to go through there and roast them in the oven and then you're going to put them in the water. Um, I traditionally I try to do if I'm roasting things uh, I think I've talked about it before but like turkey and duck and stuff like that for any holidays I'll keep those uh, carcasses after we've carved all the meat off of it and I'll make the stock which is justin what you saw in my freezer the the duck and the turkey stock.
2: Okay, and what, so with stock, you're trying to get the flavor out of the marrow, correct?
1: Uh, you're getting the flavor out of everything from the meat. So in the stocks, not just going to be uh, just the meat alone. I mean, you can do just meat alone, but it's like I oftentimes, too, will keep a, uh, a Ziploc bag in my freezer. And so when I cut things like onion, garlic, celery, whatever vegetables, I'm peeling carrots, I'll take those those scraps and I'll put them in that uh in that Ziploc bag and keep it in the freezer and then once the the Ziploc bag's full I'll either use whatever bones I have on hand or I'll use just the vegetables themselves and I'll make a vegetable stock
2: okay isn't that the biggest difference between stock and broth is one is all the meat scraps um and then the other is the bones and the fat
1: yeah stock always involves bones um but it's not necessarily meat we did
2: edit all that out. I just figured that was the difference. That's why when I had the the hen, I used all the the extra flappers and you know all the wings and the meat parts and whatnot. And then when I made the stock, I used the duck bones and the duck fat. And then both of them I mixed with the same stuff. What do you call that? Uh, the meerpox or whatever? I don't know the fancy way of saying that.
1: The meerpox.
2: Mirpo, Yeah, I use celery, carrots, um, onions. Yeah. And that's what I made
1: mine. So the, different, the main difference between the two uh, being that stock is essentially where you simmer the bones and meat for a long period of time to get all the flavor out. And broth, you're using like um, some meatier portions of the animal, so you could use just meat itself.
2: Okay, so broth can be both, or stock can be both, but broth doesn't have bones.
1: Yeah, well, and you have the the difference being the ingredients, the cook time, and the the presence or lack of seasoning. So you could actually okay. just have, you could have just meat, in there. Yeah. So sometimes a broth will gel, so you will have a, fats in there, a lot of fats in there. Whenever it's chilled, and the stock typically won't.
2: I'm it, correct in saying that you don't need to only use raw bones, right? Like let's say you make a chicken in the Instapot or something like that in a press cooker, you can take all them juices and then the leftover parts of the bird with the bones in it and make a stock, correct?
1: Well I mean a lot of that if you're using the whole bird in whatever you're cooking in, sometimes you're gonna lose those, especially if you're like you're cooking it in a in a manner to where the flavors are going to come out of the the bones. Like if you're boiling it or braising it or something like that, you're going to get those flavors out of that bone anyway. Probably the most common method, and with poultry, poultry versus, we'll just say larger animals or game animals, um, the large mammals is going to be the difference is how you use the bones. Uh, with poultry, I would recommend that if you're, you're roasting the bones separate. So you would have either something you've already cooked. Like I was saying, the example I used earlier was like a Turkey you're roasting or smoking. We'll say smoking on the Traeger. And, um, after you're done and you take all the meat off, you have like whatever bits and scraps that are still attached to the bones plus the bones themselves. So that's technically already roasted. And then you're putting that into the pot. Um, versus saying like something where you're making like a super stew with the meat, the bones already in there, that flavor is already going to come out and you're sort of making a stock as you're preparing the dish. Okay. And then something like a, a, a wild fish stock or a fish stock. You're not going to roast those. Um, you're not going to roast the bones just for the fact that you, uh, you don't need to, because a lot you're gonna lose a lot of those flavors and those uh, vitamins, minerals, and things that you want coming out of that fish if, in the roasting process. You just want to cook it.
2: Okay. Um, by any chance, have you ever made a venison stock?
1: Yeah, all the time.
2: How's that relate to the other flavors?
1: Uh, in what way? Are you, are you talking about just the way you're making it? I mean, any recipe, any stock recipe you see for beef you can use for venison as well. But, I mean, the recipe that we have up on the website for the wild game stock, you can use any wild game, the bones of any wild game for it. Oh, okay. But it's also, too, the game stock that we have, it goes into, like, it goes into pretty detail. Like I said, it's based off of Scoffier, and so you're talking about, like, going to a, a top Michelin restaurant, you know, equivalent at the time and being, like, you know, I'm a chef, I can get any ingredient I want, like money's no option, anything like this. I mean, the recipe we have here is like bones, celery, uh, bones of a big game animal, rabbit trimmings, pheasants, quail, dove, thyme, bay leaves, all these different things. But It's just sort of meant to be as a a basis for whatever you want to modify. But I mean, if you have bones that you can put into... A pot with vegetables you know roasted or unroasted then you're gonna create a nice stock to use later on in other recipes awesome so looking at stews so you were kind of you were you were definitely spot-on earlier when you're talking about stews uh, with the the thickness and a lot of times you don't even have to completely cover the, the liquid so we go back a little bit to braising and then braising versus stewing and all those things that we talked about in some prior episodes But stewing, you're looking at different cuts of meats overall, so it's going to be a little bit different, like, preparation and time investment to do it. So you can almost say that, um, how do I put this, that in a a soup, you're going to put things that you can cook fairly quickly. Like, you know, you could do a 10-15 minute, have all your ingredients maybe already prepared or... And then you're just throwing it together in the liquid itself, which would be your, you know, your stock, which is also already a prepared item. Versus a stew, you may want to put stuff that's all raw in there and then simmer it or stew it for a good, you know, couple hours or whatever until the meat gets tender and you extract whatever nutrients and flavors you want out of your ingredients so that they combine really well. I think probably an easy example of that would be gumbo, right? You guys like gumbo? Yes, I do. (laughs) And then also, too, to go back to soups, I mean, you can thicken up soups. You know, you can use pureed vegetables. You can use starches like potatoes, proteins like lentils. You're also in the soup category looking at bisques. So seafood bisque, crab bisque, lobster bisque, um, tomato bisque, if you want to go that route. I mean, really... There's a lot of different categories and we could really get into the weeds talking about soup, which is great. Um, But I think to keep it in a very like wild fishing game focused mindset, just kind of thinking about the definition between the two of soups versus stews is kind of helpful and you can... You can use your recipe creating and your creative mind to sort of say, all right, am I creating a soup or am I creating a stew? And if I'm creating a soup, what do I need? If I'm creating a stew, what do I need? Both versus uh, ingredients and time investment as well. So, Colin, you said you had something on soups and stews?
2: Man, I mean, I thought I had a lot, but uh, or not even a lot, just something. But uh, you guys started... Going into a whole other realm than I was prepared for. I just found that most of the, the stews that I've done have been with like the tougher cuts of meat. And, um, I mean, slow cooking and, you know, Dutch oven stews have kind of what we talked about the last time I was on have been the, uh, bread and butter from my stew experience. But, um, just trying to work in all those ingredients to maximize the flavor is uh, something that I really enjoy doing. But, uh, I mean, just listening to you guys talking here, I really got to branch out and find some other options to take care of.
1: He was asking what, uh, Dustin was asking what kind of soup you made in the, in the Dutch oven.
2: I think it was a beef stew. It was like a white bean. Oh, no, it was white bean and chicken chili uh, stew. And this was about maybe a year or two ago. Uh, and it turned out excellent. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's pretty much the same process as using any kind of slow cooker. Um, might be a little bit faster, but just a wide open pot to use where everything, uh, everything, all the flavors get mixed in together. And it, I mean, it comes out great. Um, super easy to use. It's just one of those things where if you have a lot of, a lot of different things that you, uh, maybe don't have enough for like a full meal by itself. You can put it in together so that uh, you end up making like a larger meal with a bunch of little small things, which I think is kind of the beauty of a stew. It sounds good. White bean chicken chili sounds amazing. Yeah, it's delicious. I had it in a, a cookbook. Uh, I have a chili cookbook that's uh, I get a lot of use out of.
1: I'm glad we got on the subject of chilies because uh, I like I enjoy good chilies, not the peppers. Sorry, Dustin, don't get excited. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh I like the I like the high alarm chilies.
1: Yeah, so talking about chilies, uh the the soup, which first off, let's have a little, let's have a conversation about this. Would you classify chili as a soup or a stew? I
2: think it's its own thing. I agree.
1: So it falls under its own category. It's neither a soup nor a stew?
2: Well I think there are not the consistency, but there are certain ingredients that make chili what it is. Um, I mean, if you were talking about consistency, it'd probably fall more underneath a stew, but chili is very distinct in that it has the spices that give it a little bit of a kick, that give it that high alarm. And, um, I mean, typically made with some kind of beans and then some kind of, you, you put it over kind of the similar things, like whether it's cornbread or, or something else. Uh, I don't know. I just think it's kind of distinct in how it's used and some of the ingredients, but not necessarily the consistency. I'm saying I, I agree because also um, every time you've had chili it's always like ground but when you have stew it's like this nice chunky you know cubes of meat and it, it, like the whole thing chili itself is, is runny so I think it's kind of like it, right in the middle
1: so it's good so I think it, yeah. it really depends on probably how much liquid you put into it and how much time you're cooking it but traditionally you think about chili and it's definitely something that's like slow cooked but you're also cooking it with a meat that's already kind of tender because it's mixed with, uh, fat and is already ground up to kind of take away, to break up those muscle tissues in the meat, which is interesting. Just to, just to think about it, kind of talk a little in depth about chili. I don't think that's, I'm sure people do it, but not as common as other things. So the big question is, and, uh, I wanted to ask this of, uh, of Casey when on our last episode, but we we never got around to it. Um, cause we got it. We had a good conversation about trash plates, which is like this weird, have you ever heard of it? Colin It's from up in your neck of the woods.
2: Trash plates.
1: Yeah. It's like, I think it's more in kind of upstate New York, central New York type way. But, um, both Casey and Corey are from Pennsylvania and Casey lives in New York now. And Corey still resides in Pennsylvania, but they were talking about it. And, uh, basically it's like they have this like kind of I think I don't want to butcher the expl- explanation but as I remember our conversation is like kind of a, everything thrown in it but essentially it's like a kind of a pasta salad with like chili on top of it I don't know
2: yeah I don't think I've heard of that um, where it's just kind of like a mix of everything um, yeah I don't know I'd have to i probably have to ask my parents maybe my mom's heard of that um, it might be a Western PA thing.
1: Yeah, it says a mashup of meats, fries, salads, and sauces. Uh, it's really common in Rochester, I guess. it said be in New York.
2: Mm, yeah, that was, that's like definitely like Western, Northwestern PA. Then it's over there.
1: But it sound it it intrigued me when we were discussing it because then it made me start thinking about. And you raised a question a few minutes ago about how people eat their chili, and so. I'm very curious about how you both eat your chili, and I'm not going to judge you on it. There's no judgment for ways people eat their chili. I'm just curious because uh, I've seen a lot of different ways, and I have my favorite ways of eating it. But um, I don't know what do, what do you guys do chili wise?
2: Frito uh, scoop chips. Yeah. We make yeah. a a white bean. So it's, that's why I said your your the stew that you made sounded so delicious because we make a chili out of white bean chicken and then we take green chili like the hot the hot pepper green chili um so we call it the white chili because it does you know because of its appearance but we'll take that and then take those frito scoops and use them as a spoon and then crunch it and it's amazing yeah and actually now that you mentioned it i'm pretty sure i used fritos as like a topping when i made that white bean chicken chili um because i think i really think like any kind of corn based starch and the bottom of it is kind of the way to go which which really what, what I adhere to whenever I make chili cornbread frioleys uh I mean those are two really two of the biggest corn things I can think
1: of but guys, like cream
2: corn, cream corn
1: you guys uh eat your chili over rice what? yeah <laughs> I just had to ask I've seen it done
2: no, nope. that, that sounds like uh heresy to me yeah so. <laughs> That's the same that that put their toilet paper roll on the other side where it co- hangs out the back.
1: <laughs> we could we could digress into a completely different set of conversations based on those statements, but <laughs> yeah, I'm I don't know. There's I, there's people that enjoy chili served over rice. I don't know. It's uh it's
2: just, it sounds like it doesn't have enough butter and salt in it to uh, really make it
1: worthwhile. <laughs> we uh, I'm I'm kind of along the lines with you guys. So we did uh, we eat a lot of chili um back where i'm from and uh traditionally cornbread's usually there so you guys sweet or unsweet cornbread eaters sweet
2: i don't even know if i would know what the difference is right now i just make the like the uh regular old cornbread
1: so there, are are in fact two types of cornbread and uh i don't think you see it as much down here maybe not in a lot of places but yeah. in uh it's definitely, even in the jiffy, like the those little boxes, the pre-made, yeah. you can get sweet and unsweet. And huh. like corn, a good indicator is like cornbread versus corn muffin. Okay. Corn muffins are sweet. Cornbread is typically not. Uh, okay.
2: I think I know what you're talking about now. Uh, yeah. Have you ever had cornbread with uh, like jalapenos inside of it? Absolutely. Yeah. That sounds good. Especially with chili.
1: I like, uh, green onions in, uh, cornbread as well. That's really good. Yeah, I've
2: got to start eating before we record these
1: things. You guys always make me so hungry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> to usually you bring it over something, but, uh, it's kind of hard. We can't mail it to each other, here, Right?
1: Yeah. So also on the lines of chili, uh, cornbread's a big one for me. Um uh, Fritos, we call it Frito chili pie growing up. Yep. I actually served that stuff in our, uh, our cafeteria. That was, uh... A full-on regular meal, Fritos with chili and cheese. To
2: be fair. To be fair. To the people who like it with rice, rice is generally a really good just, like, absorber of all flavors. Like, anytime you have, whether it's stir-fry or, or something else, and you have that, that rice, it just soaks up the rest of the flavor. So, I mean, I, I I think I might. I wouldn't tell you if I do, but I I might try it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, Here's another one. Chili Mac. Yeah. Money. Yeah. Yeah, I like to take the leftover chili after I've eaten on it for a couple of days, spice it up a little bit, make up some some macaroni pasta, and throw that in there. That's generally generally pretty good.
2: No, I was just saying that sounds good. I mean, chili mac's some of my favorite stuff. Uh, I mean, you got the best of everything. You got the nice
1: cheesy, buttery base, and then you got the nice spicy hot chili on top. Even if you added, man, I was just thinking about a good. If you add, like, more cheese in it, kind of a more liquidy cheese or even, a like, a bechamel sauce, you get a nice cream sauce in there mixed in with it to, like, give it more of a, a liquid consistency so it would end up more uh, soupy or stewy. Yeah,
2: yeah, that would be nice.
1: Yeah, so just thinking about the rice, I don't really know where the geographical line is. I feel like there's got to be a region in the United States somewhere where where it's more prevalent to eat it with rice versus versus by itself so then though is it is it still considered a soup if you're eating it on top of rice or a stew on top of rice or is it now has it molded into a different type of meal you can have
2: rice in stew too yeah
1: yeah oh yeah for sure
2: maybe that's the difference that chili is is that chili can be put on top of things more readily than a soup or a stew can where soups and stews kind of stand alone, but chili, you kind of put it on top of cornbread, Frito chips, rice, etc. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Like at what, what point does it change? Does it mutate? Or is there like a, can we draw a line, um, a line in the sand for the ability to put it over rice or other things? I don't know. So what are, what are some of your, Favorite ingredients to put in soups and stews, like a good go-to.
2: So one of the the best stews I've ever made was with uh, rabbit and squirrel up in Colorado, and um, we had we had the iron, ironically enough ground squirrels that I shot on the ground, and um, some rabbits, right? The, the big old wild hares, and I made one of the best stews. I did not tell my coworkers what it was until after they had it. However, they loved it and went back for seconds. So that was probably the, the best stew I've ever made.
1: Nice. What uh a...
2: Justin, did you make that when I was at work? No, this was back in when I was stationed in Colorado, but I can uh-huh. uh I can make you some. No, I thought for what I brought in. That was that was venison stew. Are you talking about what I brought in back on the watch about a year ago? Uh yeah, maybe. I don't know if I was there for it or not. But um,
1: Colin's just now weary of anything that you're you're bringing into work.
2: <laughs> oh man, I, I welcome it. I, I think I'm one of the people who uh is is eager to everything that Dustin brings into work, food wise at least. Um, We've well, had green chili venison jerky, right? Yeah, I mean that stuff was delicious. But um, I'd say uh my favorite wild game stew chili that i've made so far is the uh meat eater uh venison chili but i made it with ground elk uh that was absolutely delicious
1: sounds amazing oh that sounds yeah that sounds good i'll have to look up that recipe yeah
2: and you'll have to bring some into work too yeah next time i get some ground elk.
1: oh yeah so well that's a good transition let's dive into some some talk about uh about best cuts uh, versus the two You know, to go back to stews, you're looking for something that you can cook along, you know, a little longer. You may want to cook a little longer, so technically you're looking at tougher and fattier cuts of meat. With wild game, you're not always going to get those fattier cuts of meat, but you may get those tough cuts of meat. So you're looking for ways to break those muscle fibers down and to create a more tender meal. So for that uh tougher cut some commons ones would probably be shanks. Okay. I think that'd be a good one. And uh like juicier cuts, so animals that you have maybe have a lot of a little more fat. So maybe things like bear. Um, rabbits make good uh stews as well cuz they're generally a little more uh more juicier. And then ground. I think ground is unique. Ground meat, no matter what the animal, because you're introducing a certain amount of fat content into it, I think that ground meat can play both sides of the fence. It can play the stew side, because you can cook it for a while. Uh, and I'm talking like chili, I'm talking meatballs, I'm talking, you know, just adding ground anything. I think I made a ground antelope with Uh, white beans and kale soup. like It's pretty versatile. But you can turn around also and put it in soup because it's something you can cook fairly quickly.
2: What I love when you don't have to shape it into a burger patty or something like that, I love not adding fat and having the leanest, most flavorful meat I can have. So that's one thing I appreciate about grinding it.
1: And I mean, that's good too because a lot too you're going to introduce other fats into it. I mean, it's just the world that we live in if you're making... You know, a burger meat or sausage or something like that. You're going to have to introduce some other type of fat into the meat to give it that fatty consistency that you want. But just like you said, outside of that, you're not needing to add it, to add the fat in, if you're you're just going with something that's not requiring a lot of extra moisture, like a super stew. Right. Um, also, looking, I think for soups, you're going to be better with your ten more tender cuts. So your loins, your tenderloins, uh, those inside cuts, because you're going to cook something quick. I think probably one of the coolest thoughts to think of is like a pho or like a hot pot type soup is that you have something that's already, you know, you can slice it super thin. The cut itself is already kind of tender. So then you're able to just dip it into whatever you're, you're eating or if it's already at a boiling point or a hot temperature. I mean, even it's serving it. You could have something, you know, your stock done up, your vegetables in there, and then you just throw your thin slices of raw meat in there, and it sort of cooks in in the own juices, but it does so really quickly.
2: What about a wonton? Like a wonton soup? Yeah, where you uh, stuff it inside of, of like a noodle casing. I
1: think that's <clears> – <throat> sorry. I think that's definitely really doable. That's that's good. But you'd probably – what what kind of meat would you lean towards to put inside of that wonton?
2: Um. I, want, I would venture to say, you know what sounds good? This is just off the top of my head, shoot from the hip. And say you made a soup with like a, a you know, duck or some kind of reddish meat, even uh, stock, and then you fill the wonton with maybe like rabbit, the ground rabbit.
1: That'd be good. I mean, you could also, if you're going to grind out the rabbit, um, you're going to have to bone it off the carcass, so you could take that carcass, roast it for a little bit, and then make your stock out of that. And then you're adding you're adding the same flavor into both, so it really like intensifies that the dish and a duck would do, you know, do the same. You get some more complex flavors in there mm. as well.
2: Yeah, I bet a rabbit and wontons would be absolutely excellent.
1: Yeah, it's it just thinking about it, it sounds good. We do have uh, we'll talk about it a little later rabbit egg drop soup. You guys ever made egg drop soup? No, I, no. It's super, super simple. It's like once you get your stock going or your broth, whatever you're using, and you get it seasoned how you want, soy sauce or whatnot, then you take a, uh, an egg and essentially drop it in there and give it kind of a swirl, and the egg cooks, and that gives it that swirly consistency that, that you see in, like, a lot of Chinese food places. Nice. But the addition of, like, a shredded rabbit meat on top of that. So that's one where in that recipe I used a rabbit stock to make the soup and then added in everything, and then at the very end uh, garnished it with, like, some shredded rabbit meat.
2: Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um,
1: So I think one of the big things that I just want to let everybody know, like, how we, you know, we got onto this subject is Dustin brought it up being, you know, flu season and all, and uh, colds and coughs and chills and whatnot going on, and there's a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of debate that goes on around whether or not, a soup, excuse me, a soup or a stew, is uh, will help you with those. And so there's there's definitely been some research. What a, what do you guys, you guys thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think the the heat and the and the moisture, right? So you're eating something that's pretty warm. Um, some of these you know viruses and things that come around, they don't like it, so it helps you fight that off. But it's also uh, it's a comfort food. You know, and it makes you feel better. Uh, I don't know too much about nutritional value, you know, like basically sodium. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know a lot of what else is in it, but I think.
1: Well, it's going to depend on the ingredients that you put in there and what the nutritional value
2: is. Well, it's also easier to eat, right? Because if you don't feel good and you have a bad throat and, or you're nauseous or things like that, nothing like a, a, a light soup, whether it's chicken noodle or duck or rabbit, you know, a soup will go down nice and easy. Um, once you're maybe stronger and you start feeling a little better, switch to a heartier stew. And then when you're, when you're mm-hmm. 100%, you can switch back to solids. That's just my opinion, though. I'm not a doctor. No, I, I, uh, I know what you're saying that, uh, I mean, the nutritional value will just come from whatever's in it. So, I mean, if you have the lean game beats, that's going to be pretty good for nutritional value in and, of, in and of itself. But, uh, at the same time, it, it is a comfort food. So, whether it has a placebo effect or not, I mean, that's gonna help people feel better and everything. And you know, there's nothing like a, you know, a nice warm cup of soup or warm bowl of soup on a on a cold day uh, when you're not feeling too hot. So it definitely helps out even with that.
1: So there's some actual like research, scientific research, that's uh, been done um, to. Several different ones, several studies. Now, they don't say specifically, like, all right, these ingredients do X, Y, and Z and are guaranteed. But um, one common one, this guy is uh, Dr. Stephen Rennard, University of Nebraska, back in 2000. He conducted some lab tests to determine chicken noodle soup might help colds. And he used his wife's homemade recipe. And so he took blood samples from all the volunteers and in his research was able to show that the soup inhibited the movement of neutrophils, I believe if I'm pronouncing it right. And that's the most common type of white blood cell that defends against the infection. So in his theory, he said that by inhibiting the migration of the white blood cells in the body, that the chicken soup essentially helped reduce upper respiratory cold sy- symptoms. Interesting. So, yeah, let's see. Then there was another one that uh, was conducted in Mount Sinai in Miami that says it's it's more than just a placebo effect. And they looked at how chicken soup affected airflow and mucus in the noses of 15 volunteers. So they had them drink cold water first. Uh, To see how its effect was and kind of reviewed and everything. Then they had them drink hot water next. And then they had them drink uh, chicken noodle soup. Sorry, so they drank cold water, hot water, or chicken noodle soup. And then, in general, the hot fluids helped increase the movement of nasal mucus. But the chicken soup did a better job than the hot water. Huh. And then... There's an old report, which probably started a lot of the the research stuff from seventy, the late seventies, that said that uh, chicken soup also improves the function of protective cilia. It's the tiny hair-like projections of the nose that prevent uh, uh, bacteria and allergens from entering the uh, the nose.
2: Well, also, I mean, I'm not a doctor by any means, but I'm a dad. And I know that, like, when the family gets sick, you know, a lot of times, especially with the flu, I mean, people I mean, vomiting or get the runs, stuff like that, losing a lot of fluids. And soup is a good way to to get nutritional fluids back in you. I mean, I'll, you know, PD light too, but for the most part, like, when you're drinking that soup and eating that soup, that you're you're getting those fluids back. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a good
1: deal. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it too, and you know, uh, another key thing, Dustin, you brought up earlier was sodium, so sodium helps you retain water, and then any electrolytes or anything in there, it helps your body absorb that as well. So what plants create. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it's really valid, and I think it's a good tool, but I don't think we can limit it solely to chicken stock. I mean, chicken stock chicken noodle soup or anything like that I think that's just kind of like an iconic American or has turned into an iconic American dish over time
2: uh, yeah definitely I mean there's like books and stuff in after it.
1: yeah they make them about the soul
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> are, are do you know this and you don't have to edit this out or keep it but are any animals edited or um, linked to higher forms of nutrition than others like are some higher in iron
1: oh yeah 100%
2: so if you make your stock out of that animal you might be able to do it, you know intelligently in a way that you're giving yourself the nutrients that you need to recover
1: yeah absolutely so you could target certain species um, certain species to get you a specific nutritional value or you know if you're Laxing in one. Um, I mean, I, I
2: would love to consult a dietitian, you know, but I feel like different different animals are going to have different, you know, proteins and carbohydrates and and whatnot.
1: Well, so we're looking just in a quick uh, quick search here. So, if you're looking at white-tailed deer, you can get twenty-one percent of your daily allowance of iron, thirty uh, percent riboflavin, and twenty-nine percent of niacin. And that's in a three ounce serving of roasted white tail. With only hundred and thirty four calories.
2: Man, just goes to show how, how much you can benefit from understanding what you're eating. Yeah. And three ounces is not a lot either.
1: No. There's a three ounce antelope, so you're getting twenty percent of iron, thirty six percent riboflavin, fifteen diamond, which is different. That's a different one. and caribou. So caribou, you're looking three ounce piece, hundred and forty two calories, twenty nine percent, daily iron, forty five riboflavin, fourteen thiamine, and ninety four percent of your B twelve allowance.
2: No, I am just saying that's pretty good. Caribou sounds like it uh, might take the cake at least, but um I mean all of them sounds like they're extremely beneficial. So how does that I don't know if you have this information in front of you, Justin, but how does that compare to like Three ounces of beef or three
1: ounces of chicken. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I can look it real quick. And
2: then that beef that's you know pumped with fillers and hormones and things like that. Versus yeah, I guess that one.
1: you quickly can get into a conversation of all right, um, what are what's what's it eating? And I think a lot of these reasons that the wild game's more healthy is because there's their diet's more healthy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't get any better than just eating what's on the ground.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's a lot. That's a hard... Uh, I'm sure somebody's done some research on it, but I don't know. Another
2: yeah. really want to go down to hole. It's interesting is when you compare, you know, like a white-tailed deer from the East Coast compared to the West Coast, and then see what their nutritional values are. Oh, yeah, that would be interesting. See if there's any difference.
1: All right, so... Um, three ounces of lean beef contains 247 calories... Uh, 15 grams of fat, 3 ounces of venison, only contained 134 calories, and only 3 grams of fat. Venison contains about one-sixth the amount of saturated fat that beef does. And venison has 26 grams of protein compared to 23 in beef. And it does have a higher cholesterol, though. That's on Livestrong.com. But it has, venison does have more vitamins and minerals per serving than beef.
2: I obviously prefer hunting and gathering wild game, but it's beyond me why we don't actually have like a commercial need for venison and why we just stop it. It's always just beef, pork, chicken.
1: So, I mean, there is a commercial industry for it. Um, that's the only legal way that restaurants and stores can sell it in most states, um, because it has to be inspected by the USDA and whatever state agriculture agency. And there's, uh, a bunch of laws that prohibit the sale of wild game. And that was, yeah. uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. they realized that all these populations were getting knocked down because people were either hunting or in addition to hunting them for their own consumption, hunting them for meat to sell in markets.
2: Well, I'd, I'd rather harvest them from the wild than have them in a high fence area, just being farmed for uh, the table.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then you get into things like now you're, uh, you're managing them. They're essentially turned into livestock at that point. So you're managing them for, for other problems and things associated with, with, uh, With farming animals, I mean, CWD, a big, there's a big conversation right now about uh, farms and, you know, places where they're growing venison or deer, we should say deer. And because they're so compact and there's, you have such a steady population that's not migrating as much and they're all feeding off the same feed sources. And then if you get one introduction of CWD into that herd, then now you've got that all over. plus i I just saw in the news too where uh was a guy got fined a bunch of money because he moved a deer uh from his location across i think it was across state lines or to another spot and uh there's fear of transmitting the cwd
2: i think they were cwd positive too right
1: yeah i think so I yeah. think that's a. I mean, that's a big concern. You got to look at like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, all those guys that are pulling the. You know, all that stuff's coming to a halt.
2: Yeah, I mean, even I was just listening the other day that uh, even Rocky, Milk, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, even they don't transport elk much anymore. Yeah. Um, like unless it's like an extreme circumstance, but it's solely because of CWD. So yeah, I mean, it's a big deal, and for people to have multiple animals in close proximity, I mean, it's going to be a big problem. Just imagine if mad cow. We saw what happened in the, in the uk a few years ago but just imagine if mad cow hit some of these big livestock farms in the midwest uh or out west or anywhere really i mean it'd be devastating to that farm
1: yeah absolutely so i mean it's there but is it preferable no but you know if you restaurants got to go that route though yeah so just those people out there that are listening for not hunters and you're interested in hunting or you're interested in trying venison, you're going to get arguably two different products if you go to the restaurant and eat it, or if you go out and hunt yourself or get it from somebody who hunts. Uh, They're going to be completely different flavors. I mean, the flavor is going to change species to species, area to area, region to region, and all based on diet and the availability of uh, nutrients in whatever spot it's at.
2: And appreciation too. I mean, if you harvest the animal, you're going to have a much deeper appreciation for it than if someone just put it on a plate for you.
1: Right, yeah. I, I was going to mention earlier, we were having a debate between, um, you know, beef versus venison. And it's even too, like looking at the outside factors of just hunting, like depending on where you're hunting and what you're hunting, like the physical aspect of it, like there's a commitment at a different physical level that's going to, you know, could have the opportunity to put you in better shape versus consuming the other like if you have to seek out or if you choose to seek out wild game and say hey you know I'm gonna put meat in the freezer I'm gonna provide for my family but in order to do that you know I gotta spend days in the field I gotta train I gotta carry a backpack I gotta get to where I can carry a backpack I gotta practice shooting like all of a sudden now you're you're involved in an active lifestyle where you could go from being inactive and consuming you know store-bought meat easily enough to now transfer over to. All right, now I need to be more active because I have to hone my skills in order to be successful.
2: And I think a lot of people don't understand, especially when it comes to large game. I mean, deer can get heavy, but imagine trying to haul an elk out that you hiked in five miles to to go in. And you finally got him, you shot him, and they got to get it back to camp five miles away.
1: Yeah, definitely. I totally. An
2: eight hundred pound bull elk isn't going to be easy to get out of there.
1: Well, I mean, even even elevation changes. If you've got a 30-pound pack and you're spending, you know, half the day or the better part of the day out moving around a wilderness area or hiking or moving up and you're moving 100 feet up and down in an elevation continuously through the day, like, you have to be in some sort of shape to do that.
2: Absolutely. Or yeah. extremely rich and you can afford an ATV. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, That's a, that was the biggest thing that I noticed when I first went hunting out in uh, Colorado was coming from... Uh, well, the first time was in, from San Diego, which is basically sea level, and then second time was from here in Key West, which is also basically sea level. And then all of a sudden, you know, landing at six thousand feet above sea level and then climbing another six thousand feet of elevation throughout the day. Uh I mean it's pretty taxing. I mean, you get exhausted too quick, so it's definitely a, a commitment, long term commitment over a few months to get in shape for that.
1: Yeah. I yeah, I definitely agree. But you know what What I rely on to help keep me in shape? is good freezer full of wild game, too. Eating yeah. good. <laughs> good quality meat, good quality nutrition.
2: It's all part of the cycle.
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. And uh, I think probably one of my favorite ways to prepare that meat is on the Traeger. It definitely, uh, It's definitely easy to do. And there's they have a lot of great recipes you can easily use wild game cuts for. Whether you're making soups, you're making stews, you know, you can make both of those on the Traeger using the Dutch oven, which is really great. They have a variety of pellets, different seasonings and stuff too, and uh, it's all pretty readily available, high quality as well. So talking a little bit about recipes, I think it's uh, it's time to get into some recipe talking here. So. As I was reviewing the recipes I wanted to talk about tonight, I kind of broke it down in my mind, soups versus stews, but we've had some good conversations that now I'm not really sure. Well, on some I'm sure, some I'm unsure. So to kind of lead out of the gate, we'll talk a little bit about venison vegetable stew. So that's your kind of classic beef stew, not your beef and barley, but your your uh, beef and vegetables, but you're subbing, um, you're subbing uh, venison for the beef there. So you're getting like green beans, potatoes, corn. So all those vegetables are already pre cooked. So you're not really stewing the uh you're not stewing the meat. So that's gonna go pretty quick. And that checks the box for a soup in my mind. What do you guys think? Yeah, that sounds great. I agree. Think? Soup super stew.
2: Yeah, I think i would be more along the lines of the soup. Cool. How long do
1: you cook for? Well, about twenty minutes. Or if you're putting it in a crock pot, you can go five to six hours. So,
2: mm, so maybe the uh, the time is different because I normally would not think of cooking this uh, soup in a crock pot, because um, you know you're trying to break down the the meats and the fibers and everything. But yeah, uh, yeah, I think that uh, I mean it's kind of hard to overcook a soup. I think. But I uh, so. yeah, I yeah. think it qualify as a soup. Yeah, you say twenty-minute cook soup.
1: Twenty-minute cook soup. All right, put it in the if soup it category.
2: If it can cook in that small amount of time, then I think it would be a soup.
1: Yeah. All right. So next, let's uh rattlesnake soup. Ooh. I think this one's this one's gonna fall in line in the soup category for sure. Um, so a big one on that rattlesnake skinned and cleaned so it's ready to go when you're gonna you're gonna basically parboil that rattlesnake and cook it ahead of time so you can get the bones out of there that's the biggest factor and then everything else you're just combining uh you're combining um finely diced onion garlic cloves olive oil thyme cajun seasoning tomato sauce salt leaf and stock so in making all that, it's more of a soup because you're still, you're only going to let it cook for about 20, 30 minutes.
2: Yeah. That's just, that's a lot of prep time, forking all that meat off the bones.
1: Yeah. But it's forking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, Another one I'll go to. Let's see. Let's mix it up. Let's do a rabbit. Uh, I talked earlier about the our rabbit egg drop soup, so I won't go back into that. But in the rabbit note, uh, we've talked a lot about chili. And so a ground rabbit chili. You're going to grind it up and mix it in with the beans and let that simmer. So I would think I would categorize that as more of a stew just because of the time.
2: I agree with Colin on this one. I think that's going to be its own magical chili category.
1: I don't know. I Yeah. I, I mean, it could be, I guess. Gumbo. So rabbit. I think a lot of rabbit recipes. Rabbit non-dewy gumbo. I love gumbo. It's like one of my top favorite soups of all times.
2: Yeah, gumbo's up there for me too.
1: That's what I was gonna ask you guys. What's your favorite soup of all time? It could be vegetable or domestic meat or farm. Oh, okay.
2: that's a tough question. I don't know. I don't know if I could really have a like a favorite soup of all time. I mean, I like good old, you know, like shrimp gumbo, seafood gumbo. That's pretty good. Um, I don't know if you would consider like a, a paella in there as being a form of gumbo, but I would say any kind of that with like the, the spices and the Cajun spices and, uh, seafood. Those are pretty good. And it's probably some of my favorites.
1: Yeah, I do like, like I said, gumbos. Paellas are good. I don't know if I'd put them in the soup or gumbo category or stew category. Cause they're kind of, to me, that lends itself to be like a rice dish.
2: Yeah, and it's a little drier too than most yeah. of soups and stews too, so it probably wouldn't fall into that category. But uh, wh- what yeah. would you put a jambalaya in?
1: Jambalaya is like a to me like a rice dish because it shouldn't be it shouldn't be soupy.
2: I mean, I've seen some with with lots of liquid in it. Oh. yeah, I would associate jambalaya to be a little bit thicker than a gumbo.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because you're adding it's. I mean, it's chicken and you know, or not chicken, but whatever meat and rice. You know, you're adding into it. What's all the spice and stuff? Like, it's a rice-based dish with the in, the intention being that you're you're serving a meal to a lot of people for very, you know, inexpensive. Like, it's one of those big like group gathering foods. I think it's gumbo and a lot of soups and stuff, which I think is why soups are good. But it's definitely jambalaya is a big filler. Yeah,
2: yeah. we what about stew category or still more?
1: I no, I'd put it in its own. I put it, it. It's a rice dish. I think it's it's there with paella. Yeah, I don't know. You sent me the picture, but <laughs> it's uh, to me. I don't know. That doesn't. Where's the rice?
0: Well, you can put it on rice, but no, then it that's goes not the, the
1: same. Back it goes back to, to
2: chili. Is that, that jambalaya or gumbo that you sent? Jambalaya. That's jambalaya.
1: Yeah, I would call that gumbo. Yeah, I would. Yeah. To me, like, jambalaya, you're cooking the meats in with the rice. The right. yeah, yeah, with the rice. I'll
2: call it gumbalaya then. Gumbolaya.
1: <laughs> um, Last recipe I want to talk about is some smoked wild trout soup. Because I feel like... We were neg- neglecting some of the, the fish, delicious fish recipes and seafood recipes. Oh wow! Well,
2: a lot of people might not know. I, I don't. I don't know about a lot of fish soups. Yeah, me neither.
1: So this one, uh, it's really cool cause it. So it goes back to the stock, and I think fish stocks and seafood stocks are, are kind of more delicate. They don't require as much cooking time, which is makes it pretty easy to do. And this one uh, it was smoked on a cedar plank before, so it was already kind of cooked. All the meat was cooked, and then you're doing like we did with the rattlesnake, and you're taking all the meat off the bone, but then you're taking the bone, and you're making a, like a, a white stock, or like a, a clear light stock, and you're only letting that cook for like 25 minutes, and then you're straining out everything, and using the liquid to basically add in, butter to give it a little creamy consistency, onions, scallions, mushrooms, and then the trout, and then you're just cooking it. You're simmering it for 20 minutes. So that's definitely in the soup category, but it's something, if you have everything already prepared, it's pretty simple to do.
2: And fish is pretty potent, so I, I can see why it wouldn't take that much time to get the flavor out.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's one thing Escoffier talks about in his uh, in his book, is is not needing to... To like, it's quick to leach out what you want out of the, the fish. See so yeah, that cover kind of that kind of covers the recipe. So, uh, do you guys have any alibis, Colin?
2: Uh, no, not really. I mean, it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys about you know exploring new avenues for uh for food and cooking. Uh, I just hope everybody can uh, bear in mind that we're doing this uh, all separately, quarantined away, and everything. So. Uh, Just trying to keep that in mind when you're listening. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I hope everyone's staying safe out there. Uh, thanks for doing your part for social distancing and keeping others safe. Um, if, God forbid, if something happens and you do find yourself sick from either this COVID thing or any other flu season type stuff, uh, please try a recipe and let us know what you think about it.
1: Yeah, let us know if it makes you feel better.
2: Put the, uh, put the theory to the test.
1: Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I'm glad that we could put all this together, even though we're doing remotely. I mean, we we do remotely with Corey all the time, but it's just like I mentioned when we first sat down. It's it's very different to not be sitting at the table downstairs with you guys, uh, chatting and laughing. Um, and definitely some technical challenging challenges, but overall, I think we're good. And uh, I was really happy to talk about soups and stews and and not eating chili over rice. That's a, a good highlight. But yeah, thank everybody that's listening to this and, um, you know, go on to whatever podcast platform you're listening to, give us a review, tell us what we're doing good, tell us what we're doing bad, subscribe, head on to social media, uh, Harvest of Nature, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, give us a like, give us a follow, share the podcast with your friends and family, whoever you know that may find it appreciative or who might despise it. Uh, any publicity is good publicity, I guess. Uh, we need to bait it that way. And uh, keep an eye on the merchandise and gear that we have on the website. It's going to be doing a lot of updates and changes. I was just sitting here looking at uh, one of our new designs. It's the, uh, we'll call it the Eat Wild Game Chef Knife. So it's a harvest in nature with harvesting in white lettering in the knife itself and then nature in the uh, down below it and then it says Eat Wild Game right above it. But the, the cool thing about it, that i liked in the design that in the handle of the knife itself instead of like the little rivets where the night would be you have a uh, you have a bear track a turkey track and a deer track which is pretty neat so it looks like it's holding a knife together with those tracks so anyway go check it out browse it give support and uh thanks everyone for listening out there have a good night <laughs>
0: Anglers search for the one they call King, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver Saturday, May 18th, from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.